All right, guys. Let's not let's not lose what we've just come from. Hey. Welcome, everyone. It's always good to be here, be a part of family and community. And God is doing a powerful work amongst us, hey, and especially in these evening sessions, um, looking at the book of Ephesians. Now, I know this is a question that's been asked every single week, but what is the key theme of the book of Ephesians? Sorry, I don't hear any definitive answers. Yes, yes, and oh, it's on the it's on the board. Give away the bride of Christ, but ultimately, the overarching theme is the eternal purpose of God. So half marks, Roddy mate. There you go, half marks. But he must have had four. He must have had four prophetic sight because that's what we're looking at tonight. Hey, there you go. Well done, mate. Well done. So yeah, tonight we're going to be looking at the Bride of Christ, and I think this must be about session five, if not six, on the same theme. Don't, don't laugh, don't laugh. This, this topic deserves more than six weeks, I have to say. See, if we were thinking about this in merely earthly terms, six weeks, man, this is stale, man, this is old bread, this is old mana, this is done and dusted, let's, Let's move on. It's like a movie. When you go to see the movie the first time, it's all exciting. You get caught up in the emotion, the hype, maybe maybe a few tears if you're a, a sensitive soul. And then when you go to the same movie the next week, it's okay. It's still good. But it doesn't have that that grit, that 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 punch, that connection that you had the first time. Then week three, it's getting a bit boring. Week four, you fall asleep in your seat. Week five... You're almost better just going out and hanging out at the candy bar and having a few lollies because you're bored of it. And week six, you just don't even turn up. So, but the word of God is not like a movie. It's not like a fictional novel where you get a temporary fix in a moment. To be honest, and I can't believe this is even going to come out of my mouth, it's more like a video game. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) My pet hates screens. But when you're in a video game... You are caught up in the emotion of it. You start week one, you know, level one. You're in the zone. You make it to level two. Level two, oh my goodness, I can't put this thing down. I've got to get to level... You get caught up. You get captivated. You get stirred. You get drawn in. You get sucked in. And this is how teenagers end up spending and wasting their entire lives on something that is pointless. Why? Because they're, they're drawn and they're sucked in. So the kingdom of God and the word of God is a river that never runs dry. It's not fresh one week and stale the next. It gets fresher and fresher. It gets more powerful. You get more drawn into the reality of what it is that's being spoken, received, entered into and lived out. Does that make sense? So to me, the fact that you're all out here tonight says to me that you've tasted of something that is more than bread. You've tasted of something that's heavenly, divine. Otherwise, we would have all gone home a long time ago. Cool. That's the intro. (laughs) Tonight, 
we're going to be looking at a powerful, powerful passage. And it's awesome that Mal shared on a very similar theme, even using the same scripture this morning. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. So flip your Bibles open to Ephesians 5, put your pen in it, and then flip your Bibles back to Genesis 2 and put your finger or that nice little leaflet that Lisa Lamb handed around earlier and put it in there because we're going to be going back and forward between those two places. And my prayer is that tonight we wouldn't just get taken up in earthly fantasy hearing through our natural ears, but we would enter into the spiritual reality that we heard about last week from Steve, being captivated by this message, the bride of Christ, which has become not just a message to us, it's become our very life, the substance that we live from. Cool. So as you would all know from now, this message of the bride of Christ um, is more than just about an earthly marriage. There are many, some people here married, other people are not married. Regardless, this message is as relevant to you as it is any other person here. Like we've heard, Paul wasn't married. He didn't have kids, and yet he wrote pretty much the entire content in the Bible, or not the entire, in the New Testament on the bride of Christ, family relationships, children, because ultimately this wasn't about physical, earthly things. It was about something that was heavenly and eternal. So tonight, have your spiritual ears tuned in. Get your hands on your Game Boy, ready to participate, receive, get involved in what is going on here because it is for you. If you're alive, breathing, this is for you. (laughs) That wasn't even a joke. All right. Just roll with it. Yeah. All right. All right. Back to reality. Ephesians chapter five. Now we've had some powerful messages to date from Paul and Chris and Greg and others whose names I probably have missed off the list. But we've looked at things like God's absolute and total commitment as a bridegroom towards his bride. We've looked at his faithfulness. We've looked at the covenant relationship that he has with us. We've looked at the dynamic relationship between husbands who love and lay down their lives for their bride and wives who submit to their husbands being a typology of the intimate relationship that we have to have with Christ. This evening we're going to be looking at just one verse. It's Ephesians 5. Chapter, uh, sorry, Ephesians 5.31, and it says this, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then it leads on, This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So there's a divine mystery that's at play that is brought to light through this typology of marriage. Now, God is the creator of heaven and earth. He didn't just happen to have what we see, hear, smell, touch. No, no. He created it specifically for a purpose. 
So this message of the bride of Christ was not an afterthought. It was his primary thought. It was his primary intention. So much so that all of creation has been molded and shaped for this end. That everything physical that we can see and touch has been put in place to highlight the eternal relationship that God is looking to have with his people. So this verse here, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So I'm just going to give you the answer to tonight and then we're going to unpack the content behind it, if that's cool. So the purpose of this verse, God's intention for us is to leave our father and mother, to leave the things that are earthly, temporary, and to be joined to him and his heavenly purpose and live for the things that are heavenly and eternal. Would you say that that's a good theme for tonight? Would you say that's a good theme for our lives? Leaving the things that are earthly and temporary and being joined to him, being with him in his heavenly and eternal purpose. So this verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, uh, sorry, verse 31, is actually a direct quote. Paul actually wasn't being creative at this point. He was directly quoting Genesis. Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Would you agree? Where everything started. So in order to understand what really is going on in this passage, I think it's important for all of us to to come back and have a look, see the context, see what this original intention was that God would have for us. Cool? All right. So Genesis chapter 2. I'll just read through this. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. We heard about this this morning. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. And brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What a powerful verse. Now, I'd just like to remind you that this is not some obscure passage in some little book partway through the Bible that you have to know. This is Genesis, right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. God is creating something here that 
really is going to demonstrate the gospel for all ages and generations into the future. This is not just some little hidden thing. This is big time. This is primary. This is God's original, ultimate purpose that he has for us. So like we heard about this morning, God, when he created man, both male and female in Adam, he looked across the entire face of the earth and saw who's going to be suitable for this man. This man needs a helper. And now let me give you a bit of light on what that means. It says this. It says, it is, um, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, so often when you read that, it's not good. That's overwhelmingly negative, right? Not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Actually, when you see the context of that verse, you know that the word good in the Hebrew means this. It's the word tomb, and it means beautiful. Wow. It is not beautiful for a man to be alone. Interesting. So often when you read that, I've heard that verse off time after time to say that men need women. Men need women for companionship, for fellowship, for intimacy, for sex, for anything. Actually, that's not what he's saying at all. This was in God's original intention. This was never about the need of man. This was always about the beauty of God's intention and the two becoming one. The unity that highlights the glory of who God is had always been his original intention for man. Oh, does that not just bring to light the gospel? All of a sudden, Genesis chapter 2, the gospel is preached. It is not beautiful for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So all of a sudden, when now you come to the word helper, if you see it through an eternal lens, you don't see a dishwasher. You don't see a slave. You don't see someone subpar, inferior. I will create him a helper, someone who he will join with so that together they as a collective whole would radiate the oneness and the glory of who I am. Is that not a gospel that you've maybe never heard before in, in the Christian church? You know, see, if you see this and you think that this is what marriage is like, you'll think that this is what our relationship with God will be like. You'll think that God needs something for you, thinking that it's not good for him to be alone, so therefore you need to serve him. You need to work your butt off. You need to do all these things to please him so that somehow you might feel approved and somehow you might contribute to who he is. Actually, he's not insecure. He doesn't need you, but he chose you because it's not beautiful for him to remain alone. It's beautiful for him to establish a covenant with a like kind, a suitable helper, a partner who 
he would invest his life, his substance, his being, that together the two would become one and they would radiate his goodness here on the earth. My goodness, what a gospel. And let me remind you, this is Genesis chapter 2. This is primary. This is foundational. This is the reason, the entire reason for our very existence. In Genesis chapter 2, we don't see any other reason for Eve's creation. Did you know that? Eve wasn't created for any other reason apart from for Adam and to radiate the goodness of God through a divine unity and relationship with him. Is that narrow? What about Eve's Eve's career? (laughs) Does she not have an independent career separate from Adam? Does she not have a life to live, places to be, people to see? I'm being for real. Do we have a life separate from him? Are we here on this earth for any other reason other than his sake? Just think about that for a second. See, once again, this is not a luxury thing for some unique view. This is, I'm talking about creation. I'm talking about primary purpose. The reason for even being here is not actually for you to live your own life. It's for his sake. So that through entering into covenant relationship with him, you'll be transformed into the likeness of who he is, radiate his glory on the earth. Is that what you're living for? Is that what we're living for? as a community, is that why you come here? To receive this eternal word that would encourage, spur you on, draw you into living in this way? I hope so. You know, we heard this morning very briefly about this feminist movement. And actually, feminism is probably just another word for insecurity. It's individual, and it could, that spirit is just as prevalent in males as it is in females. It's trying to come into a sense of identity, purpose, a sense of calling, a sense of significance outside of divine purpose. But when you come into this divine relationship, when you are joined with the Lord, when you see that your life is hidden in Christ, you are so filled, you are so valued, you are so appreciated, you are so wanted, but your life now draws its identity from its union and from the purpose that it was created for, and it doesn't need to try and drink from an empty well. It's found the well. It's found a fountain of living water that doesn't run dry. And so we see here in Genesis chapter 2, God says, I will make a suitable helper for him. So the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man. So I've said here, why was the woman made or created? To be a suitable helper for the man. 
There really is no other reason. You know, it says, Paul expounds on this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says that um, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man. Last week, Steve preached about this dynamic relationship with God that we'd have. And this is just another way of putting into words that God is not an accessory. He's not a handbag. You know, I was captivated by his words where he says that God does not want to have, um, God does not want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. And so this is what this is about, that man wasn't created for woman, but woman for man. God wasn't created for you. You were created for him. When you put it like that, it just makes sense, right? Of course, of course. But yet this living word needs to penetrate our hearts that we would see ourselves alive, breathing here for his sake and not for our own. What if Eve was to reject that purpose for herself? What if God and his intention was to go to all that effort to create a suitable helper for Adam? Where would her sense of value be? Or I say, if she was to reject that purpose of being there to be a suitable helper for Adam, to contribute, to join with him in God's purpose for him, where would that leave her? What what would she have? What sense of purpose? What identity? There wouldn't be any, right? And so this is why this truth is so important that we have an entire world full of people who are unaware that their lives are there for his sake. No sense of purpose, no identity, no calling that they're caught up in. At best, their behavior would be like animals who were there and present, but weren't actually joined with him and his intention and his purpose for them, right? Now it says if, Jesus says this, he says if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? The primary purpose of salt is to add flavor to food, right? If a salt loses its saltiness, what's the point of it existing? Now this is big time. If we, as the people of God, don't see the purpose that we were called for, of course you would see a people who have no sense of identity, direction, calling, significance, right? And so this is why our entire being is, our our entire purpose for being is contained within him. We were created, man and woman, for him. Okay, so coming on to our passage for tonight, Ephesians. So this is setting the scene because Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 start like this. For this reason. For what reason? For the reason that we've just heard about. For this reason. 
A man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For this reason, a man will leave. There's no other motivating factor for a man to leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife than for this reason. Seeing and having their eyes unlocked and open to the eternal promise and purpose of God. We will be like the man on that GPS who has absolutely no idea where he's going. <laughs> Purposeless, directionless. And yet all the while, right amidst, right in the center of God's intention and will for him, but completely unaware. Don't be like that. For this reason, for this reason, I've put here point number one. We must see that knowing Christ, being joined in a relationship with him, is the reason for our entire existence if we're going to enter into the fullness of life that he has for us. This purpose is singular. It's, it's, it's one. It's, it's the only thing that we're created for. You know, sometimes I wonder if sports stars have a greater reason for their existence than the church do. Toiling hour upon hour, athletes at the Commonwealth Games or the Olympics, devoting their entire life for a reason, for a goal, for a prize. And Paul says to us, be like those who run, not aimlessly. Be like those who box, not directionless. Be like those who are single-minded. You know, this is the calling for us as the church to be so intentional, to be able to say, for this reason I live, for this reason my life is arranged around this one thing, being the bride that he would call me to be. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Point number two, it's revelation of Christ and his purposes will have us letting go of the priorities, purposes, and patterns of the earth. Revelation of Christ will have us letting go of the priorities, purposes, and patterns of the earth. So we're on to the second point. A man will leave his mother and father. So what does he mean by this? Once again, I just want to remind you that this is being talked about through the lens and context of marriage. But the ultimate intention that Paul has here is not earthly marriage. He's talking about something that is for all of us, something that is eternal. He's speaking of what we were physically born into, our parents, our natural birth. A man will leave his father and mother. A man will leave what he was naturally born into, separating from that which is natural and good to pursue that which is heavenly and divine. 
Can you describe that or can you relate to that as the pattern of your life? That for this reason, because of the sight that you have, because of the eternal relationship that you've been called into, that you've left your mother and father, that you've left the priorities of the earth and been joined to him. Separating from that which is natural and good to pursue that which is divine. You know, God came to Abraham and he says this. He says, leave your father, your mother, your kindred, and come with me and be part of my calling purpose for your life. Come, maybe I'll just read this. It's in Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 12, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make you great and so you shall be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God says to Abraham, leave your father, your mother, your kindred, and come into this land that I will show you. Leave your father, leave your mother, leave what you grew up in naturally, and come with me and be part of something that is greater, something that is higher. Something that's heavenly and eternal. You know, for me, this has been one of the most powerful truths in my life. When I was about, probably about 19 years old, I was in a place of such probably hypocrisy, um, brokenness, disillusionment, and God came to me and there was, at this time, I had absolutely no understanding of the bride of Christ, why it was, but I had a, a tugging and a pulling on my heart for something more. And I had no idea how this thing could be expressed. So I just, I had to just get alone. I've shared this before, but I just went and sat in the bush and poured my heart out to God. And it was in that time that there was, as I was just asking him to reveal himself to me, and I just had no concept of who he was. I didn't even really know if he existed or if he was real. That's the kind of longing that I had in my heart to know the reality of who he was. And over time, he started to to speak to me and reveal in me a, a love that he had for me that I had never tasted before. And out and all off the bat of that, at, at the time I was at university, um, my parents had been saving for my university since before I was born, putting money aside every week into into a fund to support me, um, you know, to complete my studies and to make, you know, or to have a good life, really. And so my dad, who is one of the most awesome examples of a father that I could possibly imagine, seeing such value and purpose in his son, investing in me in that way, 
you know, and saving for me to go to university. This was a really significant thing for him and for me. And so as a result of that, I had taken that identity on myself and I was pursuing his vision and his sight that he had for my life, which was so good and so well-intentioned. There was nothing about it that was out to get me or he didn't have my best intentions at heart. Everything about it was good. And so when I was in this time with God, I tasted of a love that I had never tasted before and a sense of his calling for me, calling to be wholehearted for him, which I had never known. I had always known about God, but in all honesty, it wasn't until this point that I had ever known anything that was truly life-giving or of him. And so it was that point that I felt him call to me and say, come, leave your father, your mother, your kindred, leave your father's house and come to be with me. Now, right here in that moment was such a sense of letting go of the most good, well-meaning intentions, intentions though that had their ultimate end in the things of this earth. And there was a separating from not my parents, but from a sense of finding my identity in the things of earth. See, this had nothing to do with my parents. This had everything to do with the fact that I had joined myself to a goal that was earthly. I saw myself becoming a businessman, maybe working for a bank, something like that, making money, getting to the top, getting ahead. And so when the word of God came to me, it was accompanied by the sense of purpose and direction that I had never had before. The, and so when, he, when the word came that said, leave your, your parents' desire for your life, it wasn't a sense of loss. It was a sense of great gain. And yet it still required a letting go, a, a, a leaving that which was earthly, temporary, good, and right up until that point and a laying hold of a higher and greater call, which was to be with him. And so I stopped university and had that time set aside seeking him, worked two days a week in a cafe, did some volunteering here at Fight um, fight Youth Group. And I have can honestly say if it wasn't for that process, I would probably never have entered into a quality of relationship with him that I can now enjoy and live from. But it required first this reason. For this reason, leaving mother, father, not on a whim, not because it was a good idea, but because it was his divine call and purpose. Now, if it wasn't for that sake, if it was from a sense of obligation, oh my goodness, I've got to surrender my life, live my life for God now, that would have lasted so long, but also what it would have come with was a sense of bitterness, a sense of loss, a sense of, I always could have done better in the business world. Man, why should I, why would I let that go? You know, I have never for a moment felt that sense of loss because I have been joined, and I'll talk about being joined in a sec, but I received something that was above and beyond the things of this earth. There is no sense of loss. 
know if you do something for someone and they don't appreciate it and you get all up in arms. There's a, you gave, but it wasn't a freely given gift, right? You know, I gave my future freely, no sense of loss. Now, I'm fully qualified. I, I don't know what you call me. <laughs> I've got a Bachelor of Commerce behind my name. Yeah, you. Um, <laughs> and yet, that thing has absolutely no part of my identity whatsoever. Like, the, to me, looking back on it in hindsight, the absurdity of joining myself to the business world is just absolute nonsense in light of what I've received and what I've entered into. Now, see this with my parents who had the most well-meaning intention and letting go, I've actually received that and more. I did better at university the second time than I ever would have done the first time. So I've received it back, but <laughs> to be honest, it's no more than a piece of paper that I don't even know where the piece, do we even have the piece of paper? I don't know, it's probably got lost in the move or something like that. It has no defining significance for who I am, what I'm called to, what I'm living for. It's, it's valuable, sure but it doesn't define who I am and what I'm living for. But that sense of identity could only come through being joined, so it says, for this reason, by seeing this reason, by letting go of father, mother, kindred, and coming into the land that he had shown, the land of promise. You know, I've got an interesting example here of what it means to let go of the things that are earthly and lay hold of the things that are eternal. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 10. This is probably one of the most fascinating, captivating, bizarre Weird, weird passages in the Bible. The context is set in a discussion about marriage and earthly versus heavenly marriage. It's, they're talking about, you know, divorce, marriage and divorce, earthly things. And Christ is trying to lift their eyes to something that is bigger and greater in the context of marriage. It says this, verse 10, the disciples said to him, if a relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. It's too much effort. It's too hard. But he said this to them. Not all men can receive this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Who He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Now, show of hands, who's ever heard this scripture preached on before in their entire lives? It's hidden away there. <laughs> but, hey, don't laugh. This is These are Jesus' words, and these are Jesus' examples 
So I put words to something that is heavenly and eternal. For those of you who are sitting there wondering what a eunuch is, a eunuch is someone who's been castrated, someone who has given up the sense of their male identity, can't have a wife, can't have, a, can't have kids, has given, put aside their, yep, thanks Nick for giving that physical demonstration for us all to see of what that process looked like on Josh. <laughs> We won't be having any uh, um, practicals here tonight, I can assure you. Okay, get, it, get all that laughter out of your system. But this is a big, important verse that Jesus is talking about. And not all men will be able to accept what he's about to bring to them. Not physically, he's talking spiritually. He says this, there are eunuchs who are born that way, gutted for them, let's be honest, from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men, even more gutted for these guys. <laughs> and there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this let him accept it. Who can accept that? There are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. For what reason? For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father. There are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. Not to achieve any earthly purpose, but to enter into what that which was heavenly, divine, greater calling, a greater purpose. You see in Acts, I think it's Philip who is on some sort of Is it Philip? I can't remember off the top of my head. I was on some sort of journey, and he encounters a guy in a cart who turns out to be this Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch had been entrusted... With all the queen's treasure. And they start dialoguing. And Philip's able to preach the gospel to him. And he becomes saved. But what strikes you about this passage is this eunuch. Why was he entrusted with all the queen's treasure? Why a eunuch? Because here's a man who has been separated from any sense of needing to live for himself. He had given up the thing that was most precious, most dear to him, willingly, under no obligation, so that he might be entrusted with the queen's treasure, the queen's business. He had given over himself physically to devote himself to her, her purposes, what she was living for. Isn't that massive? And so Jesus is saying here, there are some eunuchs who make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. There are those who allow themselves out of the glory of who God is, out of the magnitude of his calling and eternal purpose, who make themselves, who separate themselves from the most precious of earthly things, their male physical identity. And join themselves to something that was higher and greater. That 
makes this passage not weird, not bizarre, but spiritual and powerful, right? He says this, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Will we accept that calling for our lives? An absolute and total separation from the things that might have been earthly and good. It's not necessarily a separation from sin or a separation from the things that are necessarily robbing us. It's a separation that which is good for the sake of something which is better. You know, John's disciples, when Jesus turns up, John has a group of disciples who have been walking with him. He had been teaching them, um, discipling them. And so this new guy, Jesus, steps on the scene, and all of John's disciples start to leave John and to follow Jesus. And the people come to him and say, are you not concerned? Is this? Are you not concerned that all of your buds are now joining themselves to someone else? And he says this, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. So he was a man who had separated himself from a sense of identity in his ministry and in his calling. He didn't need the approval of men. He didn't need people to follow him. He saw that the bride belongs to the bridegroom. He was a man who had been separated and yet joined. All right. Point number three, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and be joined to his wife. Point number three, letting go of our lives is not enough on its own. We must also lay hold of this eternal purpose that he has for us. Letting go of our lives is not alone, uh, is, is not enough on its own. See, if you leave your life but aren't joined to the Lord, you're like the person that I described before who is always looking back over their shoulder, seeing that things were way better back then, way better when I had at least earthly things. The Israelites had to come out of Egypt and into the, the promised land. You know, in marriage, here we see God's intention, man leaving his mother and father and being joined to his wife. Just as I was preparing this, I, I saw an interesting article um, that was done um, or over in England, and there had been a really significant study done on divorce and why people get divorced. You know, one of the key reasons for divorce, this is in the United Kingdom, but as a reflection of around the world, was ongoing issues with in-laws. Ongoing issues with in-laws that these people who were surveyed saw as being one of the top reasons why they had become divorced. Not a contributing factor, a primary reason. Interesting. Why? Because there was a leaving, but there wasn't a cleaving and a being joined. There wasn't a separation from an old kind of authority, resource, responsibility, love, intimacy, devotion, and a joining to their wife, cleaving, 
a togetherness. Isn't that fascinating? You know what the other other key point that they found? That people got divorced. This is, this is people's own responses. They are saying why this was the case. Is that they focused too much on the wedding day and not their marriage. Isn't that another typology? Focusing on things that are temporary as opposed to that which is eternal. So when we talk about things eternal, we're not thinking about things future. We're not talking about a day. We're talking about all our days. We're talking about an eternal substance of life that we heard about this morning. And be joined to his wife. To attempt to leave the things of this world without being joined to the, to the Lord at best is shallow religious activity. We'll have a form of godliness, but we won't have the power, the motivation, the substance, and the life to live it out. Hebrews chapter 11. Flick, flick over here if you do have a Bible. This is awesome. Hebrews 11, chapter 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country for which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I wonder if you had the alarm bells going in your ear at the verse that I did, thinking about it through this context. And if indeed they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. For those who had been called for, or for Abraham who had been called with a purpose to receive this promised land, if he had been thinking about where he would come from, it would have made his opportunity to um, to enter into the promised land null and void. You know, Jesus urges us, and he says this, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife, who, when the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was doomed for destruction, you know this world is about to be consumed by fire? And he says this, this sorry, the city, Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're making an escape. There's some weird things that go on. You can go and read about that in your own time. And these guys are getting out of there. And they're escaping Lot and his wife and his family. And Lot's wife, as she's escaping, she turns and she looks back. And does anyone know what happens? She gets turned into a pillar of salt. You see, she doesn't... What? <laughs> Flavorless salt. <laughs> it must have been. So, you know, she doesn't turn back and start moving back. She looks back. No, Jesus says this, he who puts his hand to the plow and turns, no, who looks back isn't fit for service in the kingdom of God. You know what happens when you're plowing and you look back? 
You may as well turn back because all of a sudden your direction is headed right back where you came from and you're going to destroy not the line that you're plowing but every other line. He who looks back. He who is prepared to leave father and mother and join himself to the Lord. Don't be Lot's wife who looks back and get turns into a pillar of salt. You know, it says this, that if your eye, Jesus says this, if your eye is single, your whole body is filled of light. If your perspective is clear, if you're set on the things that are eternal, if your perspective is wholeheartedness, your whole body is filled with light. Now, I feel like I've, there's been one point that I've been trying to hammer home tonight that Mel did so, uh, just an incredible job this morning of describing um, what it looks like for your body to be filled with light, not in those words, but what this joining to the Lord, the impact that that has, the togetherness, the unity. So go and have a, have a listen to, to that again. But so Abraham, if he had been looking for the, for that which he had come from, he would have had opportunity to return. But as it was, he was seeking a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to call him. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Might just skip through a little bit. I think I feel like I've hammered home the point that I want to tonight. It ends with this, and the two will become one flesh. Back to right back to where we saw in the beginning, the two becoming one flesh. Now, I just want to remind you that in the beginning, it said it's not good for man to be alone. It's not beautiful. It doesn't man being alone. Does not man pursuing his own individual goals and dreams outside of God, outside of his eternal purpose, does not achieve his ultimate purpose, which is to radiate his glory here on the earth. And the two will become one flesh. It's when we join ourselves and surrender ourselves to him and his purpose that we really will become one with him. One in heart, one in mind. One in thought, one in intention, one heart, one mind. This is what Paul says, intent on one purpose. There's a divine unity that takes place when we let go of ourselves and living for the things that are ourselves, living our own independent lives and joining ourselves to him. So, Father, I just pray that these truths that we would hear would penetrate our very core. Father, that we would see the sense of divine calling. Father, so much so that giving up, letting go of the old, letting go of earthly things, letting go of mother and father wouldn't be seen in any way, shape or form as being a loss, but only great gain in you. And this, in light of what we have been joined to, in light of what we have received. So Father, I pray for that intensity to become our very heartbeat, 
that we would live wholeheartedly for you because you first loved us. We would then naturally, innately overflow in our love towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.